Welcome to the Influential Nonprofit, the show for nonprofit leaders to grow their influence so they can grow their income and impact. Now here's your host, Marianne Dersh. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Influential Nonprofit. I am Mary Anders. I'm your host, and I work with nonprofit leaders to grow their influence so they can grow their income and impact so we can do more good in the world. And I am here with Kim Fisher, my new friend, right? We're, yes. we're sisters now. Yes. <laughs> and she does something totally different than me that I think was very, very cool. So I asked her to come and join and share. She's a nonprofit strategist. And your expertise, hold on, I got my stuff over here. Your expertise is really helping people create the infrastructure for a startup, which I find fascinating because so many people don't want to work with startups, you know, because it's all crazy, you know, and they don't know what they're doing. They're like, oh, it feels super overwhelming. So just, I would love for you to just, oh, well, before we get into that, let me just start because I start every podcast the same, which is before we get into the content. Let's just tell me one thing you're super proud of about you that you don't get to brag about a lot. Oh, wow. Well, I have spent a lot of my life traveling the world and doing nonprofit work and all kinds of really unique and interesting places without running water sometimes, electricity. And I love the adventure and I love the people I get to meet along the way. So that's that's been something I'm really, really proud of. That is so cool. When you were like met with people without running water, you know, like, have you read the soul of money, that book, the soul of money, no. Lynn twist. And she, she was a fundraiser. It's not a fundraising book, but she was a fundraiser, but she talks about, it's kind of like making sense of like being with people who have so much money that they can give it away. And then people have like nothing, yes. you know? So what did that feel like when you are with people that just, you know, had so little, that is a great question because it was difficult when I first started my last role My last regular full-time job, so to speak, I was a chief executive of Arms of Love International. It operates orphanages in Nicaragua and the Philippines, Senegal, West Africa. I've also done orphanage work in Russia, Brazil, and that kind of thing. And I remember really struggling with the fact that I was taking a salary. I was taking a salary from this nonprofit, which many nonprofit leaders have struggled with, our poverty mentality, which we struggle with sometimes. And just talking to a really wise mentor about he, how he processed it. He says, you know, Kim, I learned to live with little and I learned to live with a lot. I just need to be at peace in my life, whatever that means. And, and that was really helpful to just be able to kind of be in that space and be okay with it. But it was definitely a learning process for me. So, I mean, I've sat in front of staff who have asked me for raises and me had to say, sorry, there's no money for that. And they say, that's okay, Kim. You know, like, oh, Kim, they call me Kim. That's okay, Keem. God will provide. And wow, humbling. It was always a recalibration for me, Marianne, to deal with all of my, you know, we often use the word first world problems. And I don't mean to be derogatory about that, but there was a real dynamic for me of recalibrating the things in my life that concerned me and that I spent time worrying about which are again, not invalid, but it was just good for me to process those things. Right. To give you a new perspective. all Exactly. Yeah. All right. So let's, so you help startups. So what do you do to help uh, startup nonprofits? So I have over 30 years experience as a nonprofit executive. I've done a little bit of everything, fundraising, marketing, development, which is of course, fundraising, training. And I've been the chief executive, as I just mentioned. 
So a number of years ago, I started my own consulting company. And what I do is I actually do the nonprofit formation piece. I love entrepreneurs. I love startups. And so I love to hang out with people that have a dream, that have a dream and have a vision, and I get to work with them to make it come to life. So I actually complete the IRS paperwork, the 1023, what the form is called. I actually do all the different steps that legally require to form a nonprofit with the IRS. But most of the time, a good portion of the time, my first meeting with my client is incorporating them and figuring out their name. They don't even have the name of their organization. Wow. And so yet, that's a really new them. organization. It is. Yeah. They are brand new. I incorporate them, get their EIN, form their boards, form their budget, all the stuff they need to do to become legal. So that's really what I love to focus on. I also do uh, finance work for small nonprofits and also board development. But my real niche and my real passion is the startup phase. I love so people how did that you, are just trying to figure it out. I love that. And, you know, because there's not a lot of people out there, like I said, who work with people who are trying to figure it out. Like, how did you decide to do this? Well, it was interesting. I'd left uh, my last job with Arms of Love and trying to sort through what I wanted to do next. And this came along because someone asked me if I'd ever done one. And I hadn't, but I said, well, I'm sure I can figure it out. So I did it for them. And then I ran into somebody else who needed one. And then people kept referring me business. Next thing I knew, it was a business of its own. And I've done over 70 of these now. Wow. I have a couple of international clients that started their nonprofits in the US. They could raise money here. I did one in Ghana this year and Guyana. And so been word of mouth, advertising, all the different things that we do to get business. But a lot of referral. People that are in nonprofits, no other people that want to start nonprofits. Right. So. And so here's a question. Like, do you think there are too many nonprofits? <laughs> do you Great. think, you know? Yeah. I think that in many ways, yes. In fact, the area I live in, Larimer County, Colorado, we have a population of, I'm not sure, a couple hundred thousand people. We have over 3,000 nonprofits just in our area here. And so it's a generous community, but there's a lot of competition for dollars. So I think what happens is people have their own take on how they want to do things that are already done. And sometimes it does make sense for someone to join someone else's vision than to, to start a nonprofit. So, but I would tell you is during COVID, I've seen a great increase, which is wonderful, that many people in the world, of course, we know we've all been kind of shattered in many ways, but a lot of people are using this time to say, how can I make a difference moving forward? Yeah. And so I'm talking to a lot more people than I ever have of people exactly doing this. They want, they see the need and they want to help. Right. They want to take difficulty and make it better. And I love that. And I love that you want to hang out with people like that. And do you ever, have you ever told somebody, this is not a good idea? (laughs) I have. I have. I've had some kind of some unique things. Sometimes people think that they're going to, as as we know, when this is your expertise, Marianne, the whole fundraising dynamic. Nonprofit people don't realize how much work and time and energy and how difficult it is to raise money. And so people often will come on to a call with me or a conversation and think they're going to get all this grant funding right out the gate. Mm-hmm. There's all this money out there. And we know, of course, that that is that's more challenging. And right. so a lot of times I have to have that conversation with somebody about what it actually means to have to go and raise money. Right. And that people yeah. aren't just going to give them money though, of the work and relationship and all of the thing that like it does. managing expectations there. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people really are not experienced in running a business. A nonprofit is a business, just like any other business. 
you have to have staffing and budgets and finance and boards and all the different things. And a lot of people are very heart-driven people. Yes. But maybe don't necessarily have the business strategy or background that's going to be as helpful to them as yeah. if they did. I'll tell you, I have one client that I just formed her last summer and Pups for Progress is what she's doing. And she wants to use her own background in trauma to train service dogs because service dogs are expensive. So she's training service dogs, Pups for Progress. She decided after our first conversation, she went back to school to get her bachelor's in business management. Wow. And then called me a year later, we formed her nonprofit, but she's just kicking butt. I mean, she's doing great because she is doing everything she has to do to learn the strategy of how to run an organization. So she's quite extraordinary. Yeah. You know, so I was just thinking about like, all right, I, one of my clients is the Foster Adoptive Care Coalition. And at one time I knew of like two or three people and I saw somebody like on the news and they were collecting clothes for kids in foster care, which is like awesome, right? Not a bad thing. And then this woman was saying, oh, and I think I'm going to, you know, start a nonprofit. And I'm like, because this organization over here was already doing that, right? But they just didn't know each other. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so it's like, and I think sometimes it's just like looking at the landscape of what, is there somebody else mm-hmm. doing this that I could partner with yeah. rather than starting something up myself? Like, that's just a, a thought I had because then what happens is then you wind up having all these little organizations exactly. kind of doing the same thing. You know, yeah, I don't know what happened to that, but I just remember that in rescue in the rescue world, that happens a lot too. little rescues pop up, mm-hmm. you know, everywhere. And I don't know how sustainable they are, you know, cause uh, yeah, because it's about the passion of serving and not really about, mm-hmm. okay, I'm starting a business. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Heart, again, this it's done out of heart, which I so value. And so, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's not a, it's, this is not about judgment. It's just like, you're just exploring the mindset, you know, and like, what am I in this for? And what is it really going to take? Like I've had conversations. I have conversations with people that are thinking about starting a nonprofit of by the end, they're like, yeah, okay, I'm good. <laughs> and yeah. I don't mean to like talk them out of anything. I'm just asking, mm-hmm. you're just asking the questions yeah. so they understand here's what it's going to take. And it sounds like in your example, that person was very determined and was ready to do what it took, you know, to yeah. live this out. Yeah. Yeah. Because as we know, running a nonprofit is very different. Even people that have been successful business owners, because you have all the compliance issues, your taxes are completely different. The way you have to manage your financials are different. The board dynamic, everything is really quite different. Even if, again, even if you run a successful business, there's a lot, there's a lot to learn. There is. And so how do you like, what is your process? Like if somebody is going to work with you to help a startup? Because you got the system down. I do. I've got a system. So, because you know, it's an IRS paperwork. The IRS has a very specific system. You don't verge right, diverge right. You don't verge left. You do what the IRS tells you to do. And so, the first step I do with my client is to incorporate them in whatever state they're in, which is when we determine their name and get their employer identification number. The next big step is board and bylaws. So, we do bylaws training and board development training and all that kind of thing to create the actual bylaws. The third piece we have to do is create a narrative. The IRS wants a narrative from you about what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. And the fourth step is they actually want a three-year budget because they want to know that you know how to run whatever expenses and income you need. And that's always a real killer space because people say, well, this salary and this, this, and that. And then we go back and we look at the income amount that you need to have to actually cover those expenses which is always a great experience for the client. Mm-hmm. And those are kind of the four main pieces, the 1023 and 
And then we file the paperwork with the IRS. And then ongoing from there, I can either do finance work for them or ongoing board consulting, which I do both of. So. Right. And so after the process, you could hang around for a little bit and help them with the finance or the board. Exactly. And how long does that take for you to take them through that four-step process? Usually about a month. I did that, one. And yeah. It's just insane. Okay. That yeah. is insane. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, it, you know, again, there's just processes and I just... I've learned the system. I've learned what the IRS needs and wants. And as I said, I've done 70 of these probably almost 100% success rate. So I've learned what they want. It takes a while to learn how to do this, which is right. why it's complicated. And I know people who have struggled, like they've been struggling for months, even years yeah. to get yeah. this, to get the designations that they want. And, and also, those people will come to me often for that reason, because they get stuck. I had a, a one in town here last week. He's a lawyer. And he says, we've been on this trying to figure out X, Y, and Z. And so they hired me to finish it for them because, yeah. you know, and again, if a lawyer or a CPA can't figure it out, then, then, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just a different is, thing. What is the fee for you to do that? My fee, you should imagine the amount of work and time that goes into creating all this is $2,500. And the IRS charges $600. And then your state's going to want another 50 to hundred dollars from you for incorporating. So the whole price is right around $3,200. That seems like an incredible value. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. just incredible. And then one of the questions I asked you when you first met, and I loved your answer. So I hope you remember the answer, which is like, how, you know, if people like where, how do people pay you if they don't have an organization yet? It's kind of a chicken and egg problem. Really? You have to have money to form your nonprofit. You need to have your nonprofit to do fundraising and do that. So people are usually, not usually, they are funding their organization one of two ways. It's a personal investment out of their own personal funds. And they can either record that as a donation to the organization, or they can record it as a loan on their books. The organization can pay them back. Or number two, you get an investor. Same thing. The investor is donating the money or the investor is making a loan. Mm -hmm. That's really... But one thing that I will share with you, Marianne, kind of going back to what my fee is, is you know I'm a little higher than someone like a legal Zoom or Swift filing, quite a bit higher than them. But I'm doing the consulting piece along with it as an experienced nonprofit executive. Yeah, yeah. But the challenge is, truthfully, if someone is not able to pay the fee to start it and not able to find the resources for it, it's kind of a litmus test, really. Right. Because it's the question of that if you're not bringing in $3,200 to form your startup, plus all the other startup costs, getting your accounting set up, all the different things you have to do, you're going to have a challenge in raising money to actually run the organization. Right. So that you asked me earlier, what you know? So I don't actually tell people that. I'm being a little more direct uh, with you. <laughs> but, you know, I don't tell. I'm a little, but at the same time, there is a dynamic to them kind of understanding. Oh, this is more difficult than I thought. Right, that's how right. That works. But mm-hmm. I, and also, I, I do feel like, oh, if you know, that is a litmus test. Like, how committed I am to this? Well, do I want to raise three thousand dollars to start it? Well, oh God. Okay, maybe that's not the thing for me, and which is totally okay. You know, it is, I don't want to say it's like, I don't like to, um, uh, you know, things are as hard or as easy as we we decide they are. So I'm going to say it's hard. Um, and, you know, but it is, there's always going to be challenges along the way. Yes. No, so the of the people that you helped, you know, are they... They're still functioning. Everything's going good. Do you like keep in touch with anybody at all? Or, <sighs> well, once someone becomes my client, they get on my mailing list, and I send out usually biweekly training materials on you know how to run a board meeting, how to create a, a committee. You know what are the committees on a board? 
I just said went out for the end of the year on end of the year compliance issues, tax returns and receipts and all those kind of things. So I do have ongoing interactions with my clients. A lot of people, you know, they respond to me, they get an anniversary call with me. So I'm interacting with them as much or as little yeah. as they want. Yeah. I would say the majority of people do stay fairly small, yeah. under $100,000. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with growing in time, you know, it takes a number of years for a nonprofit really to get traction and to grow. And so I it think mine are still pretty young. For any business to get traction and grow. Sure does. Yep. You know, I, when I started my company, it was October of 2018. And I met with Carol Weissman, one of the most amazing people, her company's called Board Builders. And she said, it takes three years to grow a business. And I was like, no, but not me, you know, like, I know it takes three years. Like it just takes time in the beginning of anything, nonprofit business campaign, you know, there where it's going to be like, you're going to be doing a lot and not getting a lot back for it. Yes. And that's where a lot of people are like, oh, because you just feel like you're, you're doing a lot for nothing. And that's what they'll, oh, obviously this isn't working, but if you can hold through that, then that's when you're going to start to see some traction and some growth and, and some response, you yes. know, but it's like going, like, I feel like what you can, what you probably do for them is just like in that board and the continued is just like holding them in. It's, you know, the only reason this isn't going to work is because you stop. You know, right? I think sometimes really what I end up doing, I, I jokingly say, I get paid to tell people this is really hard. You're doing a good job. <laughs> sometimes that is re- sometimes that is really what I have to do is hold their hand and saying, yes, this is difficult. And you, you said the same thing with starting a business. Same with me. I, my third year into business is when I was actually able to pay myself a salary and pay all my taxes and pay all my expenses. I just finished year four, even as long as the conversation for a different time. But yes, year four was significantly different than year three. Yes. This is the traction of year three into right. year four. And I'm ready for an exciting year five. So I know, right? My year four is like, it's already firing up. Yeah. And like, and I do feel like that is a thing that like, of just allowing time for things to grow and develop and for people to catch on, you know, and just knowing that, because like you said, you tell people it's going to be hard and you're doing a great job. I tell people, you know, it's working, even if you don't have evidence of it yet. Right. Because there's a part of like marketing or any change where you may not see it. Like, I just remember the first time it happened to me, I I went, I like called somebody and they never called me back. And I was like, okay, well, that was a thing. Right. And then I, somebody who worked for her came to a workshop I did and she was like, oh, you know, Barb sent me here. She loves you. She's a huge fan. She has your book, blah, blah, blah. And she really wanted me to come and participate this. So in my mind, that was an unreturned phone call. Right. But then I got like feedback was like, oh, no, this person was super invested. It just that cycle just hadn't gotten time to come around to me yet. Yeah. You know, so it's like you kind of got to give stuff time to you got to put it out there. It's like my one friend told me this. I never heard this phrase before, but I just love it. You polish over here so you can shine over here. Right. Ooh, I like that. And it's not always about direct action. Like, OK, I'm going to do this and get this back. Yes, sometimes that happens. But sometimes it's like I'm going to do this. Oh, and then something amazing drops in over here, you know, and just like allowing for all of that. And that's really what I help people do too, because it does take some focus and concentration to keep going, you know, and faith and trust. Yeah. Which people don't talk a lot about in business, you know, but there's a trust component. There has to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
But I just had a client I just did in December was someone who came to a workshop that I did in September of 2019 at our local library and had a former nonprofit. She actually wrote me. She knew the exact date that she was at my workshop. But here it was a little bit over two years later that she's writing me from a workshop that I did. And she was just waiting for the right time. So sometimes it's an issue of timing within all that. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. And I think the nonprofits, Marianne, face such a different dynamic as we know is that, you know, the nonprofit person, again, often they come in because they want to make this their business. They want to get paid. They want this to be their life's work. But the problem is salaries and benefits in addition to programs, a lot of money to raise. So it takes a while. So the challenge with a nonprofit founder is that they're usually running a business or independently wealthy or whatever it is that they're supporting themselves while they're trying to build this organization. So you're investing all your time and passion and blood, sweat, and tears and money into your nonprofit organization without receiving salary from it yet. And that can be a really challenging space against a chicken and egg problem. Uh You usually have to have something else going, running a business of some sort or working for somebody. There's something coming in from somewhere until you can create that income inside your nonprofit. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, again, it takes a while to build a donor base, a community Mm -hmm. of support. It's doable. Just take some time. I want to switch. I wanted to, the last thing I really want to talk about is boards. So you help people Uh. set up their bylaws and their board. And a lot of times, I, I don't say a lot of times, but uh, frequently I meet people who are like, I started this organization and I just had to fill out this paperwork and I put my sister and my friend or whatever, because I needed names. And now they're kind of like, I want actual <laughs> leaders who want to serve. <laughs> exactly. you know, but they, they kind of like throw together a board in the beginning yeah. and then they sort of have to undo it. So what can people do to start from the beginning? How do you start right from the beginning? Well, and you're absolutely right. Is And so there's two ways that I would answer that question is that because I work in the startup arena, what I tell people is that there is a best practice and there's a way that sometimes you just need to get things done. Gotcha. And a lot of times I'm working in that same space. You just need to get this done. I need some names so I can file this paperwork. And But I think part of what it is, it goes back to any kind of board training. I'm a big fan of setting expectations, appropriate expectations. Violated expectations, as we know, destroy relationships all the time, business, personal, everything. So one of the things that I send the people I'm working with is actual sample board commitment form. Because what I want them to do is to look at it and say, what are you asking your board members to do? Are you asking them to fundraise for you? Are you asking them to come to meetings? What does that look like? So from the get-go, they're actually having those initial conversations of expectations of mm-hmm. what that's going to look like. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that works better than others, but at least we have the conversation and I talk with them about it. So I think some of it is the dynamic of going from a startup board to a more maturing board. Like every board goes through structural shifts as far as, as right. they, they get bigger and what's needed. Yeah. So I think that the other challenge you have is you have a bunch of people on the board that are not really functioning as board members. It's hard to recruit board members because we all want to be part of things that are already successful. Mm-hmm. Very few of us want to say, oh my gosh, this is going to be so much work for me because I'm going to be the only operating board member in, in this. And so there's just a lot of conversation around creating the energy so that other people want to join. Yes. And then there's just seasons where people roll off, which is why you have board terms. Right. Right. You have board terms where people naturally roll off your board, whether it's a two-year term or a three-year term. Right. And then everyone that comes in, you're always, whenever you're doing board recruiting, you're always talking about your board commitment and the expectations. Because most people, if they're going to do it, 
they want to do it well. Yeah, Most yeah. of us are not going on boards because we want to put something on our resume. Mm-hmm. We have a passion for the job. So I definitely appreciate as a business person, the idea of knowing what's expected of me. And the other thing I often tell people, I always tell people too, is that again, what you're looking to do is your board is a governing board. Their job is legal and financial. People will bring lots of other people like in social service onto their boards, but that doesn't really give the board what they need to build within the organization. Mm -hmm. So I usually, even from the very first meeting I have with my clients talking about building a board, it's always about that. What's your board matrix? Who do you need? Who are business people? Who likes to sit in a finance meeting? Board people have to want to sit through finance meeting. They have to have a basic understanding of what a profit and loss statement and a balance sheet look like. Yeah. They don't have to know the whole thing because you've got experts that know that more and you have your finance committee and all that. But that's really what the focus of a board is. So I talk about things like advisory committees where people can create committees where people are talking about the things that they have passion for, for your, the service, for an example, mental health services. You get an advisory board of mental health professionals that are advising you, but they, you may not put them actually on okay. your voting board because they don't want to sit through a budget Fine. meeting. So, right. so that, okay, <laughs> I love this so much. And and I just want to make sure it's like, okay, those content or what I call program or content people, that's mm-hmm. better suited for an advisory committee. You want, you know, the budget and finance. Now I hear you. And then also what, what I also, cause I'm sitting on boards before, sometimes those budget accounting and finance can be pretty risk averse personality types. Cause I've been on boards where I was there, sim- you know, to kind of like help with help with the bigger thinking and help them tell their story better. I mean, I also had to look, cause I'm looking at these, like, I don't know how to read these financials. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm an adult human with yeah. some intelligence so I could figure it out. But I mean, but if somebody would have said, okay, we, you know, here's what we want you to help us with on our board. And here's how you read a financial statement. And here's what we need you to know about. Cause I'm thinking, I really, you really want me in charge of a $5 million agency? Like, <laughs> you know, read mo- you know, but yes, we have the finance committee. And then as a board member, here's what we need you to do around like how you can help us support us with the finance. Cause that's not my forte. Oh, there was a lot of things that I did, you know, for the board. Right. And part of what it was, was to kind of help them create a bolder vision you know, like, you know, and it puts some, you know, some of that startup energy kind of back in there, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important what you're talking about, the matrix and expectations. You're right. No one wants to go on a board and say, oh yeah, I'm just going to do a crap job. Like that's not why people go in, (laughs) why they go in and they, because what I hear you saying is you're building a culture, right? That people want to be a part of. And it's yes. a culture, not a cult. So you can leave, right? <laughs> you exactly. get to go, but, but you're building a culture that people mm-hmm. want. And if you have a strong board culture, people are going to want to be on your board, you know, exactly. like, cause they're like, Oh, this looks like fun. These are people are into it. You yeah. know, it's a high vibe. These are people that I want to spend time with. And mm-hmm. then that, you know, cause you're creating a culture, whether you want to or not, right? Like yeah. you, it's you, you know what I mean? It's like a, it's just, you're creating it. So you, mm-hmm. if you create it with the intention, like mm-hmm. you're showing people, it's so powerful because then it just makes recruitment and retention so much easier. Exactly. And you made a great point about the risk averse people. So when I'm talking, especially for an initial board training, if you, I always tell people this is if you Google who should be my board members, you're going to say you need a lawyer on your board, a CPA on your board. And I have the very conversation that you just said is like, well, what is it that those people are good at? They are good at managing risk. 
Yes. And they are wonderful to have on your board. They are fantastic people to have in our lives and our businesses and in our friend circles. No question about it. But when you're in your very first fledgling, what are we going to do and who are we going to be? You need dreamers. Mm-hmm. So what I tell people to do when they're bringing on their first board, that's what I'm saying. You've got your startup board and then you've got your maturing board. They're very different. Yeah. I said, your first board, Marianne, needs to be dreamers. They need to be for you and your vision because, Marianne, you are the founder of this organization. This is your vision. They need to be supportive of you, coming alongside you and helping you to unfold your vision. Yeah. Then when you kind of have things established, then you begin bringing in other people, people in, which do. are so valuable because right. you need to have that balance. But you're right. You don't want to have people starting on your board that necessarily are risk averse. And all my CPA and lawyer friends that are hearing this, I love you. <laughs> I love, love you. you. You keep totally us grounded. You. You, you're exactly. so good. I totally um, need you. In my, and it's in my about, life. it's a balance. That's what we're saying. It's a balance. Exactly. You, you need, and there's times when you need this kind of energy or this kind yes. of expertise in this side that you don't. And so I, one of my clients, he took my uplevel your influence course and he had really bad board participation. He just, and he referred to them as my board and, you know, you have process and systems and I work in language and how our thoughts shape our language, our language shapes our reality of that. You're calling them my board. Right. And he, as the founder, he was kind of like unknowingly bulldozing through, you know, he, because, and he's very charismatic. And so, well, he can get it done. He'll get it done. And they would just, they didn't feel like what they were doing was critical because he always just made stuff happen. Yeah. As a founder for 10 years, he's just been making stuff happen. Mm-hmm. So what I worked with him on was stepping back and allowing people to step up, which the first was it's the board, not my board. That was the first thing we shifted. Uh-huh. It's the board. That is the board of your organization, not my board. And then, and then allowing them to actually take ownership, which means mm-hmm. he had to trust to step back and yeah. allow things to happen. And I think that is a shift, especially for founders like that, you know, like just allowing, because this your baby, you know, you birthed this thing, you know, and allowing people to just step into leadership. And once he stepped back and even I facilitated a retreat for them and the board president ran the whole thing. He purposely took a very, like, you know, I facilitated the board president ran the meeting. I facilitated the conversation and he took a very like, not passive role, but he just really stepped back and that, and the board that he recruited all these new members. And it was just such a different experience for them, you know? Yeah. I do that training, by the way, when I talk to my people, because again, I say, you, Marianne, are one vote on your board. Right. So you have to be ready for the fact that your board could shift the vision of what you're wanting to do. They could even vote you off. I've seen it. I've seen it too. Exactly. So choose well. I would say choose wisely, your board members choose wisely. But the reality is, is that you need to understand that to keep your board members motivated, they have to feel like they make a difference and that they're not just rubber stamping everything that you are doing. Right. And especially in the dynamic when you've got family members, as you kind of talked about from the beginning of this, you've got your spouse or your sister or whatever. So here's again what I would say, okay, Marianne, you and your spouse are on this board and then you have Sharon over here. You don't want to come to a board meeting and you and your spouse have had conversations in the kitchen and made a decision about something and Sharon hears about it. Right. So you've got to be very careful when you have a family interaction dynamic going mm. on in a board yeah, or very close friends or something like that. And right. I said, it needs to be part of the conversation you have as a board. 
and that the board member uh, Sharon needs to be able to speak up and say, hey, Marianne, you okay. and hubby, I'm not feeling like I'm a part of this. Too. This is just not working. You're right. And You're right. then you need to be able to come to the board meeting and say, you know, hubby and I are realizing that we're talking too much on our own about this. And we've not involved you. But this would be huge, huge communication around those kind of things, which let's face it. And you know, this because this is part of what you do. People are not good at those things. No, they are People not. People are not good at this addressing is- conflict. They're not good at resolving conflict. So that can be the whole <laughs> dynamic within a board that really creates a really dysfunctional boards and boards that are just not helpful for anybody. Right? The executive director gets frustrated. The board members are frustrated. It's just, it's hard. This so is, sometimes oh. this whole, because you asked earlier, oh, how does it work? I said, sometimes it's just a transition. It's a, it's a yeah. decision that the board makes. Sometimes people need to roll off. Sometimes you have two board members for a while while the board's rebuilding. Right. And then you do a good recruiting process. And then again, we have your commitment form. Mm-hmm. You have the person who has the vision for what the next board's going to look like, doing a lot of the recruiting, bringing in people like themselves. So the transition, that is one thing I love to do. I love board transitions for this kind of very, it's a puzzle piece. A puzzle it is. Piece. Yeah. And it's really, really helping people advance to the next level. Mm-hmm. And I want to say a hundred percent, this is the reason I have a business is people don't want to have these conversations. They don't know how, they don't know how to, and I could go on and on, but I won't, but it's about, you know, managing your emotions and understanding how to communicate and give feedback in a way that serves the other person. And you're right, people aren't very good at that. And that's why I do what I do, because that's where I saw the problems. It like, yeah, I can give you an amazing tagline or messaging, but if your internal communication isn't good, nothing that you do is gonna work. You know, and I saw turnover and burnout and people just disheartened and you know what I mean, beaten down because there was a lack of transparency and lack of confidence and and you know, it takes a while to turn the to yacht around. You know, this isn't things that happen overnight, but what I saw was people trying to create a strategy to solve mindset leadership problems and communication Ooh, problems. Yeah. And that's that, that, oh, my board doesn't trust each other. We need a plan. Well, but a plan's not going to, what's going to help you trust is to, is to, you know, is what I took them through a process of rebuilding their trust. And then you can create a plan. You see what I'm saying? Like, oh, my board doesn't trust you. Like, because I don't want to have to have the icky conversation. So we'll just get a plan and that'll fix it. And like, then they're like, then it doesn't fix it. Like, ah, oh, didn't fix it like this, you know? So that's when I stepped in like, okay, like my work became more and more about interpersonal communications and self-leadership yeah. because that's where I saw where the, the issues and external communication really lied. So, yeah. So this has been amazing. We could do this for a really long time. Uh, yeah, we could. <laughs> It's awesome. So I always wrap up with the last question. Now you're in Colorado. I'm in St. Louis, right? Mm-hmm. And I... So if we ever found ourselves together in a karaoke bar, I love karaoke. It's my passion. I make no excuses for how much I love it. So tell me what's your go-to karaoke song? What song would you sing? I will survive. I love that song. Yes. That's the, I love that song. It's a happy song. It is a happy song. It's a defiance, independent queen. Exactly. And everyone sings along. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm not, I won't sing it quite as well because it's a pretty powerful song. It is a pretty powerful but, song. But I enjoy the whole, the whole uh, message of it. I will survive, but I would change it to, I will thrive. Yay. There we go. <laughs> and I will thrive. Okay. We can work on that. <laughs> I know, exactly. That's what we'll work on here. So. All right. Well, this has been awesome. If people want to get in touch with you, well, I'll put the info in there in the show notes, but how will they get in touch with you? Well, my company name is Vision Catalyst, and my web address is www.vision, 
catalyst.org. And I do offer a complimentary 30-minute discovery call for someone that wants to chat about becoming a nonprofit, if I haven't scared them off too much in our conversation <laughs> today. There's someone, there's a lot of brave souls out there that say, yes. I'm still going to do it. So, yeah, and so we'll, to you about we'll that. put the link to, for that in the chat yeah. as well. Yeah, so, and I also and- have two uh, things that I will also give you the links for too. Okay. One is called 10 Steps to Starting a Nonprofit. Ooh. And the other one is, is starting a nonprofit right for you, which is a workbook, a 14 page workbook that helps you go through vision, mission, oh, that, contact, that kind of thing. So that sounds like um, an amazing resource. Th- th- those Thank are, you. those are complimentary resources. So I'd love to offer those to anyone who's interested. Okay. And we'll get those, the links for you. Those will be in the show notes. And thank you, Kim, for being on the influential nonprofit. Thank you, Marianne, and happy new year to you. 22 is going to be a great year and happy birthday. Thank you. I don't think you mentioned that to your listeners. Yesterday it was, was my birthday. birthday yesterday. The flowers behind me, if yeah. you're watching this video, were for my birthday. And all right. Thank you so much for joining yes. me for another episode of the Influential Nonprofit. And if you want to go to the influentialnonprofit.com, I have some resources there for you around growing your communication and leadership skills. There's a ton of stuff there. A lot of what I talk about on this podcast goes into much deeper detail in there. And there's a great book called Stop Sitting Back and Start Making Change. And it's especially good for board members that you might want to inspire to step into greater leadership. And I will see you next time on the Influential Nonprofit. Thanks for listening to the Influential Nonprofit with your host, Marianne Dersh. If you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast. Also, check out the influentialnonprofit.com for more resources on growing your influence so you can raise more and do more.